Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. It has been in the in the last ten years with uh, with a lot of people getting braver and putting uh, these hacker forums online in regards to clearnet sites and uh, you know even advertising for certain illicit illegal uh, tradecraft things whatever that that are just being posted on Craigslist or on Telegram or other things. So um, to get to a lot of the malicious actors and to go through and start investigations, you don't necessarily need to go through and start your investigation in a Tor browser or in a deep web type sense. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Matt Ashburn, and I'm more than just a little bit curious about OSINT. And I'm Jeff Phillips, tech industry veteran and curious to a fault. Today, we're continuing our exploration of the dark web and its role as an information research for analysts, um, for researchers, uh, as well as for investigators. And we're doing so today by chatting with the OSINT Curious Project's uh, Michael James. Now, Michael started out investigating uh, risk and fraud in the finance sector. He's now in his day job, a threat intelligence researcher, uh, but he's also one of the founders of the OSINT Curious Project, which is how we ended up having him on the show. Welcome welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be out here. I really appreciate it. But yeah, it's a good time. So. Excellent. Well, I, I mentioned the OSINT Curious Project a couple of times in that intro. Um, let's start off there. Can you tell us a little bit, a little bit about it um, and its mission? Sure. So, uh, OSINT Curious is a, or the OSINT Curious Project is a nonprofit organization. Uh, it's focused on expanding kind of what open source intelligence can do for your day to day. It doesn't necessarily have to go through and do with cyber intelligence or um, even information security, but it it, it kind of lives in that space, right? Um, you, you hit it right on the on the head. I used to go through and do a lot with financial sector work. So mm-hmm. we would pull publicly available information and we would use social media accounts, even though that's there's there's some debate in regards to open source intelligence versus sockment authentication stuff like that. Uh, but the the goal of OSINT Curious is to to provide free tangible information to people so that they can go through and use it in their day to day jobs to go through and to to help defend kind of their their exterior perimeter for for a lot of stuff and just again the knowledge base of what can be done with open source intelligence and for you know like I said clicking all the links searching all the things and making sure that you understand what the the safety protocols for that are you know we're very big in regards to operational security because sometimes you look at things and they look back and that's what we want to go through and make sure that uh, you you at least have the ability to defend yourself against well i, I encourage i'm sorry matt i was just gonna say i encourage people to check that out um it's a great resource that sure. even i look at from uh, the website to um uh to you guys have a podcast also so uh, we, we have 10 minute tips on youtube and i still go through and look at those 10 minute tips it's it's, it's very very good it's it's very helpful yeah, I was going to say the same exact thing, Jeff. Uh, it's a great resource, a great set of resources, I should say, not just the podcast, but the YouTube clips and everything. 
sure. and the OSINT Curious Project has done tremendous work with getting the word out about OSINT as a as a craft and as a profession and uh, really also, I think, helping to break down people's fears and, and misperceptions about, about OSINT too. Uh, there's a lot of research people have been doing. You guys are really helping to uh, improve the, the trade craft. So good job on that stuff. We we really want to go through and open it up to more than just the traditional norms as well, right? Like everyone knows Google. You know, if you have a problem, you Google it. And that that's fantastic. But a lot of stuff that you're leaving on the table by not checking Bing, by not checking Yandex, by not checking other geo-specific search engines or social media search engines that are specific to a, a, a country or a region, uh, there's a lot of in-depth information you can get from that. And so we're, we're there to go through and expand upon that. And then also maybe knock down some of the other things that uh, are just information gathering versus actual intelligence. You know, the, the thing with open source intelligence is that you gather the information, which is a large part of it, but you actually have to go through and consider and consult that information, make sure that it's actually tangible and it's answering a question for whatever your stakeholder, your client or your mission set actually is. So yeah. it, it's very important to go through and lead with why is it important as opposed to what tool can I use? Because that's not OSINT. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. That's very true. And something I've said many times uh, on this podcast and in real life as well, uh, huge difference between information and intelligence or data and intelligence, right? You have to apply that analytic yeah. rigor to get from information and data to a finished Intel project. So good point yep. there. Uh, speaking of some of the misperceptions and things, we've actually in the past few episodes have been doing a little bit of myth busting uh, an education on the dark web and uh, as it pertains to cryptocurrency and investigations. Uh, you mentioned also that there are many things out there aside from Google. And, and this series that we're focusing on is uh, uh, mostly related to the dark web and resources out there. Sure. What are some of the misconceptions that you find folks have around conducting OSINT on the dark web? So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with the uh, the classic deep web versus dark web, right? Uh, there's the, the, the myth that everything is the dark web in regards to anything that's on the Tor browser, I2P, anything else, right? Um, there, the deep web is just anything that is not cached, that is not searchable by a Google search query. Uh, you know, it could be an intranet system inside your internal company's network that uh, is protected by a firewall. And so uh, other people can't get to it because it is uh, resource dependent on internal uh, needs. Um, it does obviously encompass like IPFS, which is the inter interplanetary file system, which is its own deep web. Telegram is technically its own deep web, even though it's a social media, but it's not cached. Uh, you can get the invites, but you know, the actual members, stuff you have to log in for that stuff, um, dark web really speaks to the malicious, right? It really is where the markets are in regards to who's selling what illicit illegal substances or data brokering or initial access brokering for ransomware actors, where ransomware actors host their sites to go through and to name and shame their clients or victims. Um, and, and so there's a lot of misconception in regards to everything is dark web. Everything is evil and malicious. And as soon as you log on, they're going to they're gonna own you and your computer's going to be a slave. And it's, it's not obviously true. Uh, Tor was actually created by the Navy. Uh, I think it was back in the 1950s, 60s. And uh, it was a means for them to go through and communicate with officers that were out uh, that didn't have independent, uh, reliable clearance uh you know, communication networks. And so when it fell off there, you know, the EFF and a couple other privacy focused individuals took up the mantle to go through and continue to go through and develop the Tor network, the onion router, as it's called. Um, and, and it allows a, a 
a level of anonymity that, uh, that, that helps with a lot of uh, people that are in countries that don't have access to free speech or, or free communication. Um, so it actually was based as a privacy tool. And now it's been maliciously distorted to go through and kind of serve as this platform for uh, selling illicit illegal materials as well. So there's a lot of good that is on the dark web. CNN is on the dark web. Facebook is on the dark web, or the, the deep web, excuse me. Um, you know, the CIA uh, right now currently hosts a deep website uh, to go through and to communicate with people who are in Russia and in Ukraine to go through and get the information from those countries that are behind borders to you know, uh, freedom-loving Americans and other people that uh, that can help with causes uh, that that may that may need them to go through and, and to be helped, right? So there's a lot of misconception in regards to that, but there's uh, there's there's a, a fair bit of bad stuff on there as well. So you tread lightly, right? You know, I, I was looking at something. Uh, it might have been a tweet of uh, of yours um, on the dark web. You were talking about how um, a fair amount of information has is often mirrored between we you want to call it the light web the surface and the uh, and the, sure. and the and clear the web or whatever yeah. you want to call it yeah yeah no that, that's absolutely true uh there's a lot of that used to be kind of the domain of the deep web right you needed to go through and have that barrier of entry you need to know how to get to the uh the the tor browser and install that you needed to know what domain you were going to it was kind of like bbs boards back in the day you had to have that specific address to get there otherwise you were just uh you were out of luck because there is no google for the dark web or the deep web specifically there are keyword searches and indicators you can go through and do with with uh, search engines like uh, uh amia uh and haystack and stronghold or not stronghold so that's a pacement thing um, but there are a lot of things like a Hunchley's data, be, data set that you can go through and pull down daily that tell you where to go for that stuff. Uh, but it has been in the in the last 10 years with uh, with a lot of people getting braver and putting uh, these hacker forums online in regards to clear net sites and, uh, you know, even advertising for certain illicit, illegal uh, tradecraft things whatever, that, that are just being posted on Craigslist or on Telegram or other things. So, um to get to a lot of the malicious actors and to go through and start investigations, you don't necessarily need to go through and start your investigation in a Tor browser or in a deep web type of sense. Um, there, there are other things you can do while you have a current browser and there are Tor proxies, which we don't recommend for us and curious, but there are Tor proxies that you can add a .ly or a .cab to the end of an onion link. And you can actually cruise the, the Tor browser link in your current browser, be it Chrome or Firefox, anything else like that. So uh, there's a lot that you can go through and do um, that allows you to go through and stay on the clear web, yeah. uh, stay in your comfort zone as it was to get to that information that's accessible. Well, let's let's go down that path uh, um, sure. a little bit about, um, you know, what kinds of things when you do go to the dark web in your past and you're conducting research um, it'll probably depend on your use case. But what, what kind of things are you looking for on the dark web? Sure. Um, a, a lot of the things that uh, that people will, will contract us to go through and do is, uh, you know, privacy and security minded work or, um, you know, data leak in regards to corporate or uh, non-governmental or even governmental organizations um, looking to go through and see, uh, you know, maybe if it's a law enforcement case, uh, what sort of trend analysis you can go through and find in regards to specifically like USA or Europe uh, in regards to illicit uh, drugs or running of, uh, of, of trafficking, things like that. Um, a lot of times I'm on there looking for data breach analysis information. Uh, you know, there are a lot of databases that have been hacked and then sold. 
uh, either for, like I said, initial access brokers that to sell to ransomware groups to go through and get their initial foothold and then carry out a bigger plot, or just to go through and say, hey, I was able to go through and scrape all of Facebook and put it all on a database here or whatever, and now you have this link on the dark web where you can research people's individual PII, so personally, uh, uh, personal identifiable information. You have their phone number, their email address, their, te- their, their name, uh, what city they live in, the kind of the you know, all, all of the things that you would put on a normal Facebook profile that hopefully you have locked down and put privacy settings on. But uh, these people went above and beyond and went through and scraped all the information and put it publicly available on a, a, a Tor site there. So there are times when we'll do uh, high value target uh, enumeration or we're looking at the privacy of uh, specific, specific political candidates. Uh, we need to go through and see what information is out there about them so that we know how uh, malicious actors are going to go through and pivot from that information into like the real world. That's one of the real benefits of OSINT for me is taking a digital artifact and moving it into a physical world. It, it's the connection between the cyber and the real that, that really plays a big role in regards to personal security and privacy. Yeah, that's really, really rewarding. Uh, can you give us an example or tell us, tell us a little bit about one of the uh, more successful investigations that you've conducted? Sure, I think so. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we have um, a lot of of uh, scrapers in regards to paste bin type sites and things like that, however, where people are, are, are constantly advertising. One of the ones that we went to and we were uh, launching investigations from for the uh, National Childhood Protection Task Force was uh, trafficking. Um, there were a lot of ads out there for human trafficking, and uh, uh, you know some of them are bogus and that's the reason why you look at them right you want to go through and vet for legitimacy in regards to other links you can go through and provide and make sure that if there is something to be found that it's found and then disseminated to law enforcement or the appropriate um legal organization right so when we start scraping these kind of platforms and they start leaving um identifying markers like whatsapp numbers um proton accounts for email usernames where they post on several different sites or uh even the different paste bins um we're able to go through and take that information and enumerate that in regards to anything you would do with classic osint trade work right so username analysis pivoting from social media site to social media site backtracking in regards to historical views from the wayback machine um, the, the thing about dark web and deep web analysis is that it seems very abrupt and scary, but the, the thing that you have to understand, this is with any technology, as long as you're focused on your core tenants, uh, as long as you know what your tradecraft is and you had to pivot from one piece of information into another, that's all you're really doing. And the technology is just a means of delivery. Right. So as long as you stick to your, your, your standard tradecraft and you're able to go through and take a username and run it through uh, what's my name app that Micah uh, Hoffman developed a long time ago. Um, if you take an email address and you're able to go through and put it through Ipitos tool and you're able to go through and find out other platforms that that's been registered or the services that maybe they registered for that stuff, that's all going to go through and get you that much further into uh, defining what verified information you can get. Um, in that case that we were talking about with the trafficking, we were able to go through and link it to a LinkedIn profile that was actually selling themselves as immigration services when it really was a human trafficking situation. And they were uh, maliciously advertising to people to go through and get out of these war-torn countries and bad situations and then literally enslaving them in regards to death that they didn't know they were doing all while having this uh, this shiny front on LinkedIn to go through and advertise and get endorsements from people and really kind of uh, make it a very bad situation for these people. 
you know, legitimacy and then backing it with the actual actors on the, on the deep web, dark web stuff, uh, is, is a really good way for us to go through and to expose some of the things that's actually even come out from this stuff. That's incredible. That is super interesting. You know, so it sounds like, you know, despite when people think of the dark web or think of Tor, um, that the idea of anonymity, that there's a, there's quite a bit of information that's going to flow back and forth between the darker deep web and, uh, and the surface web. Sure. So uh, that's just the overshared information, right? Like these people, especially if you think about darknet markets, uh, people who are selling illicit drugs and things like that, uh, it, it, it's kind of unfair to them, just not because they're drug dealers or anything, but because they have to go through and build up these reputations on these uh, darknet platforms. No one wants to trust each other on these platforms, and they're all worried about rug pulls and getting their money stolen. So they have to build up this this repository of good notifications, and they get the most stars for whatever they do, right? So that that allows us to go through and take that link and that market, that stall, that vendor, that username ID and profile an entity out of it. Right. So that allows us to go through and say, OK, this person does these type of drug sales or this type of information broken brokering and that they're on this site. So then we can pattern them from other sites that they may be accessible on as well. And then at that point, if there are uh, other pages that they put in regards to social media uh, or if they have their own unique website that they um, will brandish their goods as, as it is, uh, that allows us to go through and do technical analysis. Uh, when you go to those pages, they may be setting up um, kind of an off-the-shelf market or off-the-shelf off uh, um, kind of WordPress site or an Nginx site or something in Apache, and maybe they don't put all their privacy uh, restrictions on there. Maybe they leave the, uh, the info status for the server, what else is running on there, and so we can go to that through URL uh, jacking. Um, you can go through and look for sitemaps through XML, you know, at the end of it, just tag XML dot, uh, or sitemap.xml. Um, that can lead to some very interesting, interesting information because if they fill out the authorship of that XML sitemap, then you know who that is. We actually found um, one one individual, more than one individual, but we found one individual who had a sitemap uh, who listed himself as the author, gave himself the username, which we know from a previous case, uh, and actually we were able to go through and attribute it back to the very beginning of that WordPress site, which gave us the creation date, which gave us an additional piece of information in an email um, and then uh, everything else that was already listed that they thought was it was a secmail.pro. So it's a super secret squirrel email address, whatever. But this other one was a ProtonMail account. And ProtonMail were able to go through and enumerate uh, when they created that. So it's it's not the smoking gun all the time. But it, if you can layer more and more of these informational artifacts, then you can go through and continue to build a case. And the longer term that you're able to go through and to investigate this specific area subject, research um, kind of grant, the more that you're able to go through and pull out and contextualize. So it's really nice to go through and have that uh, that historical look in regards to some of that stuff. That's very cool. Uh, one thing that, that folks have heard mentioned is um, there's a switch from version two to version three. There's some change there in, in URLs and things like that. How does that affect the practice of OSINT research on the dark web? Sure. Yeah. Um, back in October, they switched. Tor decided that the 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 Onion Router project, excuse me, uh, they decided they wanted to go through and move from a version two, which was a smaller character set in regards to the URLs, to a larger character set, which is uh, 
more space for encryption and more uh, anonymity. Also, it gives, uh, just like with the, the problem that we're having with IPv4 and IPv6, uh, you know, they were running out of random characterizations in regards to sites for URLs. This allows them to go through and kind of almost infinitely be able to have uh, the onion domains, whatever, and have a random character string so that it's, uh, it's affordable for everyone to go through and have their own domain. Um, so what it does for us is it allows us to go through and delineate who is keeping current on their projects uh, and who is not, right? Um, it made all of us go through and update all of our mirror sites and make sure that we know what, what actors are actually following the trend. Um, there is another way to go through and kind of look at this as well, is that you have a deprecated system like V2, uh, where there are people who are going to use that as, uh, for better better term, whatever is uh, security through obscurity. Uh, if you don't upgrade to this version three, you can stay kind of hidden under the radar. Um, and there, there is a way that you can deprecate your your Tor browser, and you can still search for those version two links there. So that that's something we did figure out, and we had to go through and enumerate. But um, that that is something that allows us to go through and and kind of keep in a metadata sense who is keeping current with this, who is making money off this, who is, uh, you know, ashamed of downtime in regards to this stuff. Uh, so it, it puts the most serious actors kind of up front because they're, they're making that patch Tuesday update, right? They're, they're getting to that, that spot where they, they can be accessible and there's, there's redundancies in place. So that puts a higher target on those people because they're more in line with what their, their business structure is for, for either sales or distribution or, trafficking depending upon what it is so there's some there's some contextual information you can get around that stuff but there's a lot of sites that we used to use that unfortunately have kind of gone to the wayside and we can't go through and get those in in our standard browsers now uh and sometimes that's that's not great but uh social media sites and things like that they were quick to jump on the version three and they knew exactly when it was coming so they 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 obviously are are in it to win it for that stuff well michael um one of the things we like to help uh, the audience with is, is any kind of resources and you've, you've, you've is resources. You've dropped a bunch as we've gone through here, but maybe as a, as sure. a last question, you know, if you're, if you're not doing dark web research all the time, or if you're not familiar with it at all, you know, any suggestions on resources on how to get started um, and learn how to learn where to, how to find the information that you might be looking for. Sure. I, I know you guys have done a couple of different uh, shows in regards to this, so I won't beat everyone over the head about how to go through and download the Tor browser. What I will say, and I say this to veterans and I say this to people who are just getting started, operational security is your number one concern, right? So you don't want to go through and go to the Tor browser and then look up your bank sites, right? It's, uh, it's important to go through and understand that there are JavaScript, uh, you know, modules and some sites that will try to trigger and we'll try to go through and do malicious things to your, to your, your, your device. Right. Um, there are some myths in regards to blowing it up full size versus keeping it compact in regards to fingerprinting and fingerprinting is a, is a real thing, whatever. So people can go through and, and look at your browser and your machine and see what your fingerprint provides them by going to their site. So operational security is First and foremost, the number one thing you should consider. So uh, Chris Hadnagy and a couple of people used to go through and say, what you do before matters, right? So think about your operational mindset. And if you're just going and you're just doing research as a hobbyist, that's totally fine. Maybe you want to pick up something like Tails OS, which is an operating system that is designed to go through and to help with anonymity. Um, if you're doing this as a daily researcher and you have a VM, which I recommend, um, you know, that way you can go through and you can implement Tor and you can do snapshots, you can revert back, you can clear all the cache and all that stuff. Uh, that's a repeatable process. 
Um, there are a lot of things you can do as a third party site if you have the money to go through and pay or if you're law enforcement or military and you don't have the ability to go through and put uh, code on your computer. You can't get to sudo in regards to your Linux station. Um, Echosec is a very good uh, platform that's a paid tool. Um, there are a lot of other sites like Amia, like I said, .fi that will allow you to go through and do strings to go through and search for certain keywords and things like that. Um, there's a lot that you can do as a hobbyist or as a professional. Uh, one thing I will do for you guys is I actually have a GitHub repository and I will link some of the better tools and some of the more advanced things to go through and do like Google dorking searches through Katana and stuff like that over for how to get started in regards to that some of the stuff. Cause it's very daunting if you don't know. And if you just walk into it, you really can go through and either see something you don't want to see and you'll never be able to unsee, or you, you, you can actually get hurt in regards to some of the stuff. So it's very important to tread lightly. Um, I know that I've uh, interacted with Trace Labs, which is a group that does missing persons cases. And I know that we've done some, some things through OSINT Curious to go through and just talk about operational security. Uh, it is one of those things that uh, you, you really want to go through and understand what you're doing on the deep web before you go through and start interacting with it. Because like I said, if you start, as with anything, you know, if you start clicking links uh, you could unfortunately get to a captcha that, that allows them to go through and manipulate your browser or download something. Or if there's a PDF or a malicious doc, you know, it's just it's it's basic cybersecurity at this point that you just want to understand what you're doing and not click all the links uh, unless you're in a sandbox or, an, or, or a good environment. Right. That's always good advice. And as a cybersecurity guy, I appreciate you, you mentioning that. That's uh uh, that's always a, an important topic, and uh, it's not the, it's not the sexiest, but it is one of those things that, yeah. will, that will keep you safe, right? It, it is, and and that paired with opsec as well. You mentioned that a few times today, right? And Absolutely. those are, are incredibly important concepts, uh, regardless of whatever you're doing, but especially important for for OSINT. So appreciate that. Sure. Michael James, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we learned a lot. It was great having you on the show this week, and uh, thanks again for for being here. Thanks to everyone else at home for tuning in to this week's show. Uh, to find out more about the OSINT Curious Project, you can visit their website, osintcurio.us. That's OSINT Curious, but you break off the .us at the end. Uh, or you can join their Discord community. Keep in mind, they're also a nonprofit organization, and you can donate to the project if you'd like via the Patreon link on their website. You can find the link to the website and more information about OSINT Curious Project in our show notes. If you liked what you heard today, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch episodes on YouTube and view transcripts and other show information on our website. That's at authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight.com slash needlestack. We'll be back next week with more on the dark web, talking to other folks that specialize in dark web research. We hope to see you then. Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, 
and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.